Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Hi, my name is Eddie Vargas. I'm the lead pastor of this amazing, passionate, spirit-filled Christian church. And today we're going to continue in our series, Keeping the Vision 100. But I want to talk to you about something that's been resonating a lot throughout Christendom and the climate that we're living in through this pandemic and quarantine. Now, how many know that even though California is probably one of the most expensive states to live in, the weather has been incredible, right? In fact, I always say this is what we pay for. This is what we're paying for, for this weather. Um, but I, I, I'm aware that, that knowing what the weather is going to be like is sometimes complicated. Like, for instance, when I was growing up, here in Redondo Beach, I, me and my friends loved to go surfing. And so back in the day, we would listen to K-Rock in the morning and we would listen out for the surf report because we wanted to know where the swells were hitting. We wanted to know how hot it was going to be and we wanted to know how cold the water was. And so based on that report, we would get prepared and we would know if we were going to take a boogie board, a long board, a short board, if we were going to go to El Porto, Hermosa, Manhattan, or the avenues, we would know where we would want to go based on the swell and also the the water changes, believe it or not, up and down Southern California. And so we wanted to know if we were going to wear wetsuits or we were going to wear rash guards. And so understanding the forecast was very important. Even today, before I go to wash my truck, I always look at my weather app. I look and I want to see, come on, if it's going to rain because I don't want to wash my truck and then it rains and it just messes up my truck. Or I don't want to wear some white kicks, right, when it's about to rain because I don't want to mess up my kicks. Is anybody with me? And so when it starts to get a little bit cold, like usually if we travel, we ask Mike and Didi when we go up northwest, how's the weather? Because we know the weather in Washington is crazy. And so if you're watching us from Washington today, we can't wait to see you. But we understand that the weather sometimes gets crazy. We've landed in like minus 10 degree weather before with just like a hoodie and some jeans. And it wasn't probably the best thing that we could do. Last year, we went to Costa Rica. And we know that Costa Rica is very tropical. We went with some friends and, and we wanted to know what the weather was like. And everybody here is like, it's thunderstorms, it's raining, it's bad, don't come. And we're like, we, are, are you sure? And so we called friends that we had on the ground. They're like, oh, no, it's great. It's, it's sunny. It's, it, it rains from time to time. But that's a part of the climate in Costa Rica. Sure enough, we went. And sure enough, it was amazing, and it rained from time to time. It felt good. But most of the time, it was sunny. And so why am I telling you all this? Because forecasting isn't always easy. In fact, there's a lot of evidence in our world that allows us to take a forecast of not just weather, but even trends. Right? A lot of supermarkets do this. A lot of, like the Home Depot and Lowe's, they, when it's raining, they put out a lot of tarps because they know it's going to rain. They know tarps are going to sell. When it's going to be a heat wave, they put out air conditioners and fans, and they know that it's going to sell. Fashion trends, right? They forecast a fashionable trend. So forecasting is actually a big part of our lives, a big part of our existence. In fact, they have a lot of weather balloons and, and buoys that will let you know if there is a tsunami heading your way to help 
forecast what's coming at you. And it's interesting that I picked up this article about the Sioux Indians. And this is already, you know, when there are cell phones and technologies available. And, and the Sioux Indians were in this area and, and they wanted to know what the weather would be like. So they went to their chief and they said, chief, you know, do you think it's going to get cold this year? Are we entering into a cold season? And the chief would say, hold on just a second. He would go into his teepee or his house. I don't know. He'd go in there and get on the phone and call the weather station. And the weather station, the meteorologist would say, yeah, the cold is coming in. It's going to be a bad winter. And so he'd go back out and he'd tell them, make sure that you cut down a lot of uh, uh, trees and make a lot of firewood because it's going to be very cold. And, and as they continued to do that, what they would recognize is the shift in weather would happen, but they didn't see it extremely cold. And they would go back to the chief and they'd say, chief, is it going to be a cold winter? Because, because we just want to make sure that we're doing all this work and we want to make sure that we store up enough firewood. He goes, I'm pretty sure, but let me check. He goes back into his dwelling place, gets on the phone and talks to the meteorologist and says, hey, are you sure that it's going to be a cold season? Of course, the meteorologist doesn't know who he is, but says, yes, it's going to be extremely cold. I would prepare. Chief goes back to the Indians, tells them, cut up a lot of firewood, more firewood than they've ever cut up because it's going to be an extremely cold winter. And, and as they're doing all this, one guy comes up to him and says, hey, chief, just, just to be sure, are you sure we need all this firewood because we're going to cut a lot down? He goes, let me just confirm one more time. And he goes back into the house and he gets on the phone. And he speaks with the meteorologist and he says, hey, I just want to confirm that it's going to be a cold winter. And, he, and the guy responds to the meteorologist, listen, we know that it's going to be an extremely cold winter because we've got reports that the Sioux Indians are cutting down a lot of firewood. So so yeah, it's going to be cold. Some of you are going to, oh, that's, okay. You're going to get it later. It's going to be like an afterthought. It's going to be like a snack. Later on, you're going to be laid down in your bed and you're going to be like, ah. No. You know, forecasting is what we do when we try to predict or estimate a future trend or something that's going to happen based on the evidence that is at our fingertips nowadays, especially with all the technology that we have. It's interesting that when you read Scripture, Scripture does a lot of forecasting. And trust me, I'm going somewhere with all of this. Scripture gives us a forecast of things to come. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll find out that God would speak through men that were considered prophets prophets that would speak on behalf of God and teach the children of Israel what God was saying and what was going to happen next. If these prophets were found to be false or abusive of their prophecy, they would literally be put to death. And so giving a forecast or speaking on behalf of God or giving a prophetic utterance to the children of God or the people of God in the Old Testament needed to be very precise and needed to be very specific. And if you were found to be a false prophet, they would put you to death. And so they took that very seriously. Mind you, King David had Nathaniel, a prophet, that would, that would prophesy on behalf of God and speak to the king. 
Before Nathaniel and King David was King Saul. And Saul had Samuel the prophet that anointed him and King David as king. You have Isaiah the prophet and Amos the minor prophets. And you have Jeremiah. So a lot of Old Testament prophetical books talk about what's going to happen and what's going to transition next. In fact, Isaiah prophesied about a virgin giving birth. Hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jesus being born through the Immaculate Conception. And so prophecy is actually the telling of what's going to happen next. But it's also an invitation into God's plan for the future. And so the prophetic diminished greatly because of the transition that took place in the children of Israel from prophets to kings. And kings were also looked upon as being very prophetical. King David was very prophetical. King Solomon was very prophetical. And so prophecy is something that you'll read throughout Scripture. Even in the New Testament, for the Christian, a prophetic word would be a type of forecasting. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings this vision or word or story to the mind and heart of the one that would speak on behalf of God to God's people. In ancient biblical times, once again, you get that wrong, you get put to death. And so the spiritual gift of prophecy is actually something that the Holy Spirit is still distributing to sons and daughters today. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Today's more of a teaching. Is this okay? I want to teach you something because I'm not going to be able to finish it today. I'll finish it next week. But I want to talk to you about the end times. Because that's what's happening a lot right now in a lot of the Christian language. In fact, a lot, some of you have even, Pastor, is it the end of days? Is, is Jesus Christ coming back to the church? Well, my answer is always yes. We are living in the end times. But as you heard me say last week, the end has been coming since Jesus Christ died and resurrected from the dead. For the last 2,000 years, we've been living in the end times. And so I always encourage somebody that would text me that, is it, is it the end of times? Is it the end? Yes, it is. And they're like, I'm, I'm so afraid. I'm like, why? Well, because I'm, I don't know if I'm ready. Well, then you better get ready. That's the way that I always respond. Not to, to, to put the fear of God in you, but if it does, then so be it. Because we don't want to get ready for Jesus Christ's return. We want to stay ready for Jesus Christ's return. And I'm not saying that he's going to come today or tonight or this afternoon, but eventually he will come. And so let me reiterate, because some, sometimes people, even in our own church, take me out of context. And so I want to make sure that you understand that I'm talking to you what the Bible, about what the Bible says about living in the last days so that when you study this out or when you hear somebody talking about it or somebody presenting it or posting it or asking you questions about it, it is my job to equip you and to train you in Scripture how to rightfully respond to those that have a question. But it is not my job to make you study. That is your responsibility. Right? So Paul the Apostle writes this letter to the church in Corinth and he says, 
to pursue love and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let me just remind you that we are a spirit-filled Christian church that still believes that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he poured out his spirit then, and he's still pouring it out today. And we believe that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Lord. And part of that empowerment has the attachment of the miraculous gifts of God. So what does Paul say to the church back then and what does Paul say to the church today? Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because when you prophesy on behalf of God, you're edifying the body of Christ. And there is no other season like today that the body of Christ needs to be edified. That the body of Christ needs to be encouraged. And so this is a gift. It is a grace gift. It is a blessing from heaven that the church should not be afraid of, nor should they preach against or quench. In fact, Paul the Apostle again writes to another church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But what does he say? He says to test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. And so too often today, the church, not our church, but the church as a whole, there are many factions of the church that reject the miraculous gifts and reject the operation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people today. We are a church that believe that the Holy Spirit still moves not just in us, but among us and through us and empowers us to fulfill the work of God. Is everybody tracking with me? In addition to that, we still believe in the operation of the gift of prophecy. We still believe in tongues and interpretation in a godly orderly way. We still believe that God still heals people, that miracles are still taking place. We still believe that. We believe that it's for today. And there's nothing in scripture that says that it ceased 2,000 years ago. In fact, the Bible says when knowledge ceases, the gifts will cease. Let me ask you, has knowledge ceased in our world? No. It's continually increasing. And so I'm just one of those pastors One of those Christians that believes that the gifts will cease when we're all in heaven. But until then, he left the operation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit for you and I to be empowered to do what God has called us to do. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. What's the with me? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God. So those who have the gift of prophecy differ from the Old Testament prophets that spoke the authoritative word of God and was documented as scripture when they said, thus saith the Lord. And the difference with today is, and even in scripture we were taught this, that when somebody says, hey, I got a prophetic word for you, the Bible says don't scoff at it, don't make fun of it, don't quench it, but listen to it. But after you listen to it, test it. Somebody say test it. How do you test it? 
you find out if it aligns with God's word. This is why I beg you to become students of your Bibles, to study the word so that you'll know when somebody is saying something, whether or not it aligns with God's word. How do you know what God says if you don't read what God says? And how do you know if somebody's telling you a lie unless you know what the truth is? And so when somebody says, Pastor, i got a prophetic word for you, I'm like, come on, bring it. Give me a word. I'm all about that, man. Man, give me a word. Encourage me, edify me, rebuke me, teach me, prepare me. Come on, bring it. But if you're like, hey, God wants you to know that he's got another woman for you. Roxanne is like, that devil is a liar. Right? <laughs> Listen. Listen, immediately my, my spirit and what I know to be true is going to stop that and go, hold up, wait a minute. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because I'm already married. I'm already in covenant. And I don't want to be with any other woman but the woman that God gave me. So what you're saying is a lie from the pit of hell. How do I know that? Because I know my Bible and I know the relationship that I have with God and my wife. But if somebody says, hey, God wants you to divorce her because he's got somebody else for you, then I already know that God hates divorce. Why would I believe that? But if you're like, oh, he does? <laughs> Babe, I'm sorry, but we got to get a divorce. God's got somebody. How do you know? How do you know unless you know the truth? Because when you know the truth, it'll set you free. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Is this okay? You guys all right? We're going somewhere. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. What is he saying? Don't believe everything everyone says when they say, God showed me, God told me, God told me to say to you. Because there are a lot of people like that in the church too. Hey, brother, God told me. He told me to come to you because he said that you were going to give me $1,000 because I was in serious need. And oh, he did? I can't tell you how many guys have come up to me that come to our church, that have visited our church, and they say, I'm the apostle so-and-so, and the Holy Spirit said that you were going to sow a seed into my ministry. And I'm like, really? Man, I'm in a great relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he never told me that. But you know what? Satan says things like that all the time. How do you know how to test it if you don't know your scripture, if you don't know your word? Out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you're able to discern things, whether they're lies or truth, by knowing God's living word. So how do we test it? We test it with God's word. But we also get an affirmation or confirmation from God. Because God has spoken to me through a thus saith the Lord, through a prophetic utterance. And it usually is the same thing over and over and over again. Like when God wants to speak to me and he hasn't spoken to me for whatever reason through prayer and he wants to speak to me through another individual or a plurality of individuals, usually those individuals without talking to each other, without even talking to me, will come to me and tell me the exact same thing. Hey, God wanted me to share this with you. And it's confirmation after confirmation after confirmation that aligns with God's word. Is anybody learning something? For there are many false prophets in the world. And this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person is claiming to be a prophet and acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. 
But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not of God. Such a person has a spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. All right, we're talking about end times. Right? John is saying that these people that say these things have the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already here. And so the spirit of the Antichrist is already on planet Earth. Everybody tracking with me so far? I'm talking to you about end times. And I'm talking to you about what Jesus prophesied and what he said would happen. And there's been not one instance that Jesus ever says something and it didn't come to pass. So it's important for us, if we're going to talk about the end times, let's start with what Jesus said. In the New Testament, the apostles and not the prophets took over the role of scriptural proclamation from the Old Testament prophets. With that being said, again, I want to look at what Jesus said concerning the end times and their arrival. But Jesus wasn't making a weather forecast. He was making a forecast about his future return and how we'll be able to discern that it's happening. Now, it's an extended forecast, but Mark chapter 13, if you have your Bibles or your smart devices, I want you to turn there and we're going to read for just a minute because just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus forecasts, prophesies, tells the disciples and everybody following him what's going to happen in the last days before his second return. Now, let me just remind you. They were waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Isaiah prophesied about him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, and then it happens. And when he's walking the face of this planet as God manifested in the flesh through the immaculate conception of a young teenage girl who would give birth to him, this was a prophetic word that came to pass, and as he dwelt amongst the Jews and the Gentiles, those that should have known who he is rejected him and put him on the cross. That's important for us to understand this, because if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can miss the signs. We can miss the evidence of the second coming of Christ. And I just, I'm just one of those guys that just hopes and believes that Jesus Christ will come back in my time. I'm just one of those guys that hopes that he does. And I'm not afraid of it. I look forward to it. And so should the church. You guys are awfully quiet today. Second service was really loud. They were like, yeah, come back, Jesus, now. Mark chapter 13, let's read. This is what Jesus said. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple... Peter, James, and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign 
that they're about to be fulfilled. So get the picture with me. Like Roxanne and I, we've been to the Mountain of Olives. If you can remember this, remember where the camel was? On that, that's, that's the Mount of Olives. And so the Mount of Olives from the temple or from the Mount of Olives from that mount to the temple would probably be from like this stage to Inglewood Avenue. Okay? So just get the picture. From here, from Hawthorne Boulevard to Inglewood Avenue is the Mount of Olives. In between is city, a Muslim grave, graveyard, and Hebrew graveyard um, with sarcophaguses all on top of the graveyard. And the gates entering into what used to be the Holy of Holies were sealed off by the Muslims in front of the Muslim graveyard because they believe that the Messiah would never walk on a Muslim grave to get into or go through the gate go beautiful to go back up into the rebuilt temple of God. But that's not going to stop Jesus from coming back. Okay. And so get the picture. Jesus is sitting on Hawthorne Boulevard on a mountain looking at Inglewood Avenue where the temple is. And the temple was beautiful. It was magnificent. There was like a valley from here to there. And it's just gorgeous. You could see it. It's like everybody looks towards that, that temple mount. And so you could see the temple. And this is Jesus teaching them what he's, he's, he's describing as a prophetic return, the second return of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has said to them, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming that I am he, and he will deceive many. And when you hear the wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines, and these are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Let me just stop there for just a second. A number of months ago, I said to our church that it's, it's been a long time since the church has been involved in government affairs. Now, I don't believe that our church has a political position and any of the politics, but I do believe that our church has a biblical position in everything that happens here in the United States. And I do believe that one day God is going to put us in front of presidents and dictators and kings. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we are going to testify of the goodness and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so don't be afraid and don't be alarmed when you see your leadership or your pastors or people in the church getting out and praying over Congress people, praying over senators, praying over presidents. Am I talking to somebody? Because we're declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and they need Jesus too. I don't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. I could care less. The only thing I care about is that you're a Christian. That's the only thing that I care about is that you're a Christian and that if you vote, that you vote for policies, not people that align with our biblical faith. I know I just got somebody upset right now. That's okay. I'll respond to your email. He said, this is Jesus. Okay, don't, don't be mad at me. Take it up with Jesus. On account of me, 
You will stand before governors and kings and you will witness to them. I can't believe people get mad that we would pray for our president. I can't people get mad that we would pray for Governor Newsom. I can't believe that people get all fired up and ticked off and would even leave our church because I say pray for your leadership. It's what the Bible says. Read your Bible. Apply it to your life. Don't only hear what it says, but do what it says. Would you guys be mad if I had the opportunity to go to the Oval Office and to pray over our president? Right? It's an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with our leadership. And if they make it easier for us to preach the gospel, then why not? But he says, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. I'm so grateful that we had the mayor of Londo here with us celebrating the church being here for 100 years. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings and witnesses as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. We saw this over and over in Paul's life. He was brought before kings and magistrates and synagogues. And he just shared what the Holy Spirit said. And he was a witness to all of them. It says, brother will be betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Like your kids. Not our kids, but kids. Will actually come against their own mom and dad. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now listen, this is what some scholars would call the Olivet Discourse. Because Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when he was discipling and training his, his disciples and teaching them. These are the things that are going to happen when the end comes. And when you study the Gospels, when you look at Mark 13, you'll also find this same story in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. They all reaffirm what Jesus had said. And so the mo how many would agree with me today that the most important event in all of our future is the second coming of Christ? How many would say that that's, it's, it's better than us going back to work? It's better than us getting the quarantine removed? It's better than us being able to take vacations, you know, a nice place? The most important event that it'll ever happen in our lifetime, if we get to experience it, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right? The first time it happened, most did not believe. What do you think is going to happen when he comes for a second time? He's not coming to die again. He's risen. He's coming to establish his kingdom. And it starts with his bride, the church. And so the most important event in all of our future and hands down to the next generations beyond us is the, is the return of Jesus Christ. And in Mark 13, Jesus gives us a forecast. Jesus predicts it. Jesus prophesies it. And he gives us specifics on what it's going to look like when he does. So point number one, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, because this is more of a study than a sermon. Jesus predicted 
that the temple would be destroyed. It's the first thing Jesus predicts would happen. This beautiful temple that took hundreds of years to finish. This amazing temple that King Herod has spent hundreds and tens of billions of dollars lavishing out is going to be destroyed. Jesus said it in verse 2. Not one stone here will be left upon another and everyone will be thrown down. I've been to Temple Mount. I've literally walked where the temple of God was, where the holy of, I've been able to walk, it's like six football fields wide and long. And I'm here to tell you that every stone was overturned and there is absolutely nothing left of the temple. When did that happen? It happened 40 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus saying this would have upset a lot of people because you don't talk about destroying the temple of God where the the presence of God dwells, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the Ten Commandments and the rod of Aaron and the manna that fell down from heaven and where God is worshipped. You don't talk about destroying that. And yet Jesus said it very clearly. Not one stone will be Will, will be left unturned. It's going down. It's going to be destroyed. In fact, the Jewish historian, Josephus, who saw it with his very own eyes um, many times, left us a description of it. He said, Now the outward face of the temple was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight. And at the first rising of the sun reflected back a very fiery splendor and made those who forced themselves to look upon it turn their eyes away just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers. And when they were coming uh, to it at a distance like a mountain covered with snow, for as to those parts of it that were not jilt, they were exceedingly white. And on top of it, it had spikes with sharp points to prevent any population of birds sitting upon it. Of its stones, some of them were 45 cubits in length. And we've seen the base of the mountain. Think about this. Stones that are literally solid stone. And it's 68 feet long. 8 feet high and 9 feet deep. And yet they were overthrown. They were overthrown. And as beautiful as that temple was, Jesus knew, was, knew that the time was coming where one stone would not be left upon another. And again, anyone listening to this would be like, that, that's, that's audacious. That's a disrespectful claim. And yet, a few days earlier, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, in Luke chapter 19, this is what Jesus said. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city... He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day that would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and and you and the children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Look at somebody and tell them, God's coming for you. God's coming for you. 
And I don't know about you, but that brings great joy to me. To know that God's coming for us. Not today, but it will eventually happen. Well, how do you know not today? Because there's still a lot that has to happen. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. And you'll see that there's still things that still need to happen that can happen in our lifetime, in your generation. The reason the temple was going to be destroyed was because God had visited Jerusalem in person, in the person of Jesus Christ, and they refused to see him as God. And so the Jews were guilty of being spiritually blind. One commentator put it this way. The destruction of both Solomon's temple and Herod's temple seemed to indicate that God's patience comes to an end with his chosen people. He removes his presence from the physical symbolism of his presence from among them to be a witness to future generations that there is a price to pay for being disobedient to him. You see, the Jews and the Gentiles in that day didn't affirm him as the first coming of God, as the Messiah. They thought peace would be delivered through removing the occupation of the Romans. But Jesus was about to bring a different kind of peace. It wasn't necessarily a physical peace, but a spiritual one. Jesus came to set at liberty the captives to sin. And when he sets them free, they experience the joy. They experience the peace. They experience the goodness of God. But they wanted him to deliver them from the Romans when God wanted to deliver them from Satan. So this is a different kind of peace. This is a different kind of joy. And so Jesus brings this different kind of peace, an inner peace that is a lasting peace that surpasses anybody's understanding. Here's my point. If you haven't recognized Jesus Christ as the manifestation of God himself, I want to tell you right now that God came in the form of a man by the name of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then that Word became flesh. Flesh, Jesus. Jesus died on a Friday, and he rose again on a Sunday to bring us into a right, restorative relationship to God the Father. And that freed us from our sin. And now because we're freed from sin, now we can live in the joy of the Lord. Regardless of what's happening around us. Regardless of what's happening to us. My prayer is that God will open blind eyes today and the blind eyes of hearts out there so that they will see that Jesus Christ not only is the Messiah, but he is coming back for his church. And his church isn't walls and LED screens and drums and stage, the church is sitting in those pews right now who he dwells in. So he destroys a physical temple to dwell in his creation, his sons and daughters, you and I. Because we now are the temple of the most high God. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. John chapter 14, 27 records Jesus saying this, Peace I leave with you, my peace. 
Not the kind of peace that the world gives to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Isaiah the prophet wrote this in Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And he predicts the fall and the destruction of the temple. And not 40 years later, and if you do any kind of biblical study on numbers, you'll know that 40 is the number of testing. Right? Noah was in the ark while it rained 40 days and 40 nights. The children of Israel were wandering the desert for 40 years. Jesus went up to battle Satan, right, with prayer and fasting. And he always referred back to scripture for 40 days and for 40 nights. And so we know that the number 40 is the 40 of testing. And if you're in your 40s right now, you're being tested. Hallelujah. Anyways. So here, not 40 years later, (laughs) now it makes sense. It makes sense. Here we see now 40 years later, the temple is destroyed. This magnificent, beautiful temple that seemed like the Titanic of temples was destroyed by the Romans. And not only that, but remember what Jesus said when he was on the way to Jerusalem right before Palm Sunday? When he told them, he says, this is what's going to happen, right? They're going to surround you and they're going to, they're going to slaughter you. Well, 40 years later, the temple goes down, and guess what happens to the Jews? Over 600 million Jews are put to death. I'm sorry, 600,000 Jews are put to death. Think about that with me for just a second. Close to half a million Jews, a matter of fact, a little over half a million Jews are put to death. And Jesus told them it would happen. But did anybody listen? Did anybody take heed? And so let me just say this. Going back to Mark chapter 13 because I don't have a lot of time. We're going to continue this next week, okay? When Jesus says that these signs will follow, that these are going to be the birth pains of his return, of his second return. Think about this with me for just a second. He started with the temple being destroyed. Has it been destroyed? The temple that Jesus was talking about has been obliterated. It's been completely destroyed. And so since then, the end times began. Everybody tracking with me? So when people say, but they've been preaching that for 100 years. Yeah, because for 100 years we've lived in the end times. Since that temple, since that temple was destroyed, since Jesus died and rose again from the grave... The end times was near. And again, let me just say, point number two. Jesus predicted the rise of disturbing trends. Not only did he say, oh, that's good. Not only did he say the temple would be destroyed, but he said, these are some of the things that you'll see as evidence of my second coming, of my return. And so the disciples asked for a sign. When some of these end time things would happen. Listen to what Jesus said. 
Mark chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. He says, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately and asked him, tell us what will happen. What sign will follow us that these things are to be fulfilled? And Jesus basically says, these are the beginning of birth pains. And so you have to be on your guard. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a woman um, experience birth pains or the contractions. Um, praise God we had... Uh, Aaron and Monica give, give birth to a, a brand new baby healthy son. And uh, they're doing really, really well. For those of you that didn't know, they actually had COVID. Both of them did. And they're both fine. They're both doing great. The baby's fine. The baby's doing great. He's beautiful. And we know that Miss Teresa, right, November's coming, right? Not today, but November, right? And so, so I remember when, when, when Roxanne went into, you know, labor, I remember the first time I was at work. I was at work when I got the phone call. I was working in Hollywood that, that she, you know, she's, she's ready. And how I many you know that when the girl is ready to go to the hospital because she's starting to have contractions, you don't sit there and just like, nah, let's just hang out. Nah, it's going to take some time. It'll be a long way off. When the woman starts contractions... How many know that baby wants to come? We don't know when the baby's coming. What we do know is that it's going to come. For some women, it's like within an hour or so. Bloop, there it is. <laughs> For other women, it's like 20, 30. You know, what, Monica was in labor for what, 34 hours or something like that? Was it something like that? I don't know. All I know is a long time. I know Aaron's hand is broken. It doesn't work right right now. From <laughs> and then at the end, you know what's horrible? It's like 35 hours in labor. And then the doctor goes, let's just cut her open. I'm like, can't you do that like in the beginning and save her from 35 hours of... Anyways, just me thinking out loud. But how many know that when there's contractions, that baby's coming? And there's almost nothing that you can do to stop it. And this is, like they've even injected women, right, to slow down contractions because their cervix ugh, hasn't opened up and all that other stuff. <laughs> sorry, I get grossed out really. Sorry. It's just, it's an easy thing for me to get grossed out. But the doctor will actually try to hinder it from happening, right, because he wants the baby to grow bigger. So they want to keep it in the oven. Um, but sometimes when your body's like, nope, fuera, <laughs> it's coming, it's going to happen. And there will be doctors that actually tell you that this is your due date. But I read that only 5% of those due dates are actually accurate. Less than 5%. With all the technology, with everything, that less than 5% are actually accurate. Let me just say this as our worship team comes up. Let me say this. Anybody that ever says to you that I know when Jesus Christ is coming back, I figured out the formula, is a liar. It's a liar. You can't put a due date on the return of Jesus Christ. It's not for you and I to know. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 24. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, the angels don't know, 
I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So for somebody to say that I know when Jesus Christ is coming back, or they've created this formula, or they're this, this fancy-schmancy, you know, megachurch pastors, this is the day that Jesus Christ is going to They're a liar. Jesus himself said nobody will know. Only the Father knows when he's coming back. What we will know is the trends. What we will know is the evidence that we see around us. And so in, instead, Jesus said that we should look for certain things to be happening, like the birth pains of a pregnant woman. And one of the things that we'll see, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with this and then we're gonna, we're gonna finish this next week. One of the things that we'll see as a part of this trend, now mind you, he said the temple is gonna be destroyed. Was it destroyed? Yes, we know for a fact that it was destroyed. It's documented in the Bible that it was destroyed. Josephus documented that it was destroyed. Roxanne and I have actually been there and there's nothing there. It's just flat ground. It has been destroyed. Now mind you, they are rebuilding it. And they're gathering everything to rebuild the temple. Which is another sign, but I won't talk a lot about that today. One of the other signs that Jesus declared that you and I should look out for, knowing that his return is imminent, is a spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Jesus, in verse 5 of Mark chapter 13 said, Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive even people that are the elect, like people who should know better and don't. See, I've told you ahead of time, so if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said that there are going to be people that are going to mislead you by being false prophets and false messiahs. Paul writes this in, in a letter to the Galatian church, in Galatians 1, verse 1 through 8. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men or by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for for, uh, for our sin to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever amen I am astonished that some of you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel they're being misled which is really no gospel at all, at all. good news, not really good news evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach the gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Another translation would say, let them be an abomination to God. 2,000 years later, we see L. Ron Hubbard. 
He was a science fiction writer in the early 1950s. And he wrote, writing for a penny is a word, penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wants to make million do- millions of dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion. And so he started the Church of Scientology. And I've seen this place because I own my shop in Hollywood blocks away from the Church of Scientology. It's a cult. It's an occult. Tom Cruise and, and John Travolta and a number of other um, actors and high-profile people have, have submitted themselves to this occult. They're false prophets, false messiahs, false God. And then there was one more, there was another clown. In fact, I want to show a video before I close because you, you got to see this for yourself because this is, this is real stuff. This is stuff that's happening today. We're not talking about, you know, it's going to happen. It's already happening. Let me show you this video real quick of Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. That word, dead. Dead to sin. Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda claims to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And his followers believe every word. This is a historic event, knowing that God is here on earth. I am the second coming of Christ. That Messiah that they've been waiting for. We first introduce you to De Jesus Miranda in 2006. He runs a worldwide organization, Creciendo en Gracia, or Growing in Grace, that he claims has millions of followers. He preaches a message of freedom to indulge. This message tells us that we're perfect, that there's no sin, that there's no devil. And also, no hell. If they call you a sinner, we feel hurt. That message, one theology expert told us, appeals to followers. So people think of the Christian church as being a downer, as always talking about people being sinners and so forth. The danger, Mitchell warned, is that with such devout followers, this has signs of a cult. De Jesus Miranda wants to establish a world government with himself as leader. He's also been criticized for accepting expensive gifts from followers, including watches and cars, and living an extravagant lifestyle. And he took all your sins away. Still, followers don't seem to care for a man they say cares so much for them. It's a very positive message. De Jesus Miranda has over 300 learning centers worldwide, including one in Houston, where he sometimes runs his organization. Kevin Peters for CBS News. Is that crazy? Is that crazy? That's happening right now. Millions of followers. I knew the Antichrist would be Cuban. I don't know why, but I, I just played. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm in so much trouble right now. This guy's misleading people, telling them he's the Messiah and blatantly putting 666, the mark of the beast, in front of his pulpit and misleading people by the millions, not hundreds, not thousands, millions across the world see him as the Messiah. Paul writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. He says, preach the word. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently Correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Another translation is doctrine. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. 
that will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and carefully carry out the ministry God has given you. These are the birth pains. These are the signs. This is the evidence that we are living in the last days. And not just him. I did, the, I did a lot of research this week. And another gentleman is out of Russia or the former Soviet Union. He's got tens of thousands of people following him into communes, claiming himself to be the Messiah. More now than ever is our world filled with false messiahs, misleading people, misguiding people. And Jesus said that this would happen. He said it would happen. So we know that the temple was destroyed. And we know that a lot of people would be declaring themselves as the Messiah. But they're false prophets. They're false messiahs. And we know it. How do we know it? Because we were prepared by what, what, what God's word says. And so are we experiencing the contractions of the second coming of Jesus Christ? My answer to you is yes. We are experiencing them. We are seeing them. It has been declared, and the evidence is all around us. So what do we do as the church? What's our obligation as the church? Let me remind you one more time. To love the Lord your God with everything that's within you. And to love people into the loving arms of Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel. By being a living testimony. By sharing God's love and God's truth with the whosoever of this world. That's our responsibility as the church. The bride of Christ. We were birthed for such a time as this. And I just want to encourage you today. I want to show you what the Bible has to say about it. But don't be afraid. Don't be all freaked out. It's going to happen at some point. Will it happen today? Probably not. Will it happen tomorrow? Probably not. What happened in the next 20, 30, 40 years? Maybe. Maybe 50, 60. Hope so. What if we're here for another 100 years? Should the Lord tarry? Then that means that our responsibility is to train up a child in the way that they should go so that when they grow up, we disciple them to be carriers of the truth and of the gospel of Jesus Christ because should we outlive it, then it'll be their responsibility to carry it and to be the church in the last days in Jesus' name. Come on.